Welcome to Lessons in Life and Love with Rihanna Milne, where we show you how to have the positive mindset for success in all life areas so you can grow beyond difficult transitions and evolve from those challenging moments that may have influenced your past but will not define your future. It's time to have the life you desire and the love you deserve as we teach you the exact skills needed to attract and keep a lasting, emotionally healthy and conscious relationship. Now, please welcome your host, certified life dating and relationship coach, trauma professional and best-selling author, Rihanna Milne. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's show number 26 of Lessons in Life and Love. I'm Coach Rihanna Milne, known as a life and love transformation expert. I'm on a mission to change the way the world loves. I hope you, my listeners, my angels of love and love transformers will help me spread the word on how to have conscious, loving and respectful relationships. Tonight's topic is a great one. We have a lot to cover. If I don't get into it, we'll continue on next week as part two. But we're going to cover today's love statistics. What are the recent numbers? I find them very interesting. So I wanted to share them with you. The history of love, the history of marriage, finding the one, tips for a successful marriage, and marrying again. This is all going to be a summary from this fabulous magazine I found standing in the grocery line called The Science of Love by Centennial Special Reports. They said it's on display until May 6th of this year. So you may want to look for that yourself if you're interested in reading more of the details. Again, I'm just doing summary of some of these great articles. As you know, I am an avid reader of research and I like to stay up to date. So I like to always share that with my listeners and my clients. And I will be doing that for you tonight. And on that mission to teach you the exact skills that you need to have a fantastic life and to attract and keep a fabulous partner, no matter your age, whether you're a man or a woman, straight or LGBT, or if you're single or in an exclusive relationship, so that you can have the life you desire and the love relationship that you deserve. Do take advantage of getting your personal questions answered during this live radio show version of Lessons in Life and Love by calling me in the next hour at 866 451-1451. Just have your question or comment ready and we will discuss it live on the show. If you can't call in and you really want to meet with me personally about anything you're struggling with, then do apply for a free life and love transformation discovery session by going to my website, rihannamillon.com and tell me your story. It's a $500 value. And remember to listen to all the past podcasts on the website, lessonsinlifeandlove.com to get an education that builds your knowledge in life and love skills. You can also now listen to the daily Lessons in Life and Love report on Alexa and hear the full podcast version on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Music, Stitcher, and your other favorite apps. And if you hear something you know will benefit a friend or a loved one, please do be an angel of love and share the show link and leave a comment and five-star rating on the platform of your choice because that way I know I've got listeners out there. So it's really helpful for us and keeps us going when we know that you're listening. So I would love to hear from you. Today's show is being brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audio book with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening today. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna. Let's get started in tonight's program, starting out with fun facts about love and marriage. And these are just little snippets of percentages from different research centers. Most are from the Pew, P-E-W Research Center, again stated in the magazine, The Science of Love. First one is 59% of Americans who believe online dating is a great way to meet potential partners. So that's a pretty popular response. And 64% of married Americans said that having similar interests is a key to happy union. I would have thought that percentage was higher. 
39% of people who were introduced to their partner by a friend. That's close to 40%, but more people seem to be using the online platforms today. 17% of Americans got married to a person of a different race or ethnic culture in 2015. This increased five times since 1967, when only 3% of newlyweds involved had an interracial pairing. One in four is the number of married couples who don't sleep in the same bed. I would think that's usually due to snoring. That's the one reason that couples tend to sleep in different rooms. It's a shame. Sleep apnea is indeed a problem. There is surgery for both the nose and the throat, but some have mixed reviews as far as its success. 15% of people met their significant other at work and 39% met through an introduction by a friend. 56% of married Americans think that sharing household chores increases their relationship satisfaction. I would think that would have been much higher being that many women are in the workforce today and for them to do the traditional Ozzy and Harriet household is almost impossible when they're working all day and many of them have children to still care for and then to have to do the house by themselves. It really tends to create havoc and an unhappy marriage. So for the men that are listeners out there, household teamwork and parenting is teamwork. It's very important that you share these chores with your partner in equal measure. 58% of unmarried Americans would still like to get married one day. 27% of unmarried Americans are not sure if they want to get married. And 14% of unmarried Americans say that they don't ever want to get married. I know those numbers are really off from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, but the millennials have really changed, and I'll be going into that report in a little bit as well. 79% are the number of couples who live together before getting married, so it's close to 80%. Back in the 50s and 60s, that was almost unheard of as well. 54 times a year, the average American couple has sex. This averages out to about once a week. Now, I would have thought that was twice a week, and I remember reports from years ago it was twice a week. This is showing that our lives are getting more busy and maybe the lifestyle is harder to manage, but they're saying it's averages about once a week. And there's 800,000 number of divorces each year in America. That's not good. They're not quoting the number of marriages, but they did quote the number of divorces, and I thought that sounded quite high. Let's go into some statistics for the millennials. Those born after 1980, and I have two children, 35 and 36, so they fall in this category, are reinventing marriage in their own image. It's often done later in life, it's more diverse, and it's far more fluid in style, pace, and celebration. Their research shows that they're taking their time. Millennials are getting married at a slower and lower rate than previous generations. They also lag behind in leaving parents' homes and having kids. About 44% of millennials between the ages of 25 and 34 were married in 2015, compared to 68% of us baby boomers. Those numbers are quite lower. Their parents during a similar period of life. I was married at age 21 because back in our day, it was known that you married your college sweetheart. And I had children at 24 and 25. And my girls are 35 and 36, and they got married, I believe it was 29 and 32, which I was happy about because I really encouraged them to do their careers in their 20s, and they really, really excelled. So I said, aim for marriage at about 29 to 32, and that's what they did, and they were very smart about it, and they waited, and they chose very carefully. And I loved their husbands as the sons I did not have. And I have three grandsons now, so it's really big family love in our household, so it's really great. So the lag, they're saying, is not only due to a desire for more education and more women that are in the workplace than a generation before, but also the Great Recession of 2008 and and the high amount of student loans. In fact, millennials have gotten such a late start in their careers and carry so much more debt than the average marriage ages for men and women are 30.9 for men and 29.2 
for women compared to in the 1950s to 22 and 20. So I was married in 1982 at age 21. You can see a huge difference of about 10 years there. The important thing about the millennial generation could be its diversity. Today, 44% of them are minorities. True to that diversity, 14% of millennials, about one in seven, have interracial marriages. This is almost three times the rate, 5%, seen in boomer marriages that came before. That is quite a difference. Millennials are also more likely to have children before marriage. A record 55% of parents aged 28 to 34 have put childbearing before marriage, more than double the share of boomers at that same age. That would have been very much looked down upon if we had children before marriage. It was known as a scandal. (laughs) But even some of my daughter's friends are choosing to get pregnant. It is a very valid and conscientious choice that they are making because they want to have children and they don't want to marry someone just to have kids. And they decide to have children their way. And then if that man comes later, then he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. They will be mother father to those beautiful kids. So that's becoming more of a trend. The trend may increase hardships, they're saying, for members of this group. Young adults who put marriage before any childbearing are much more likely to avoid poverty and find themselves at least in the middle class, said the social science of the Institute of Family Studies, who did the research. Millennial men and women are far more likely than those in previous generations to blur the gender roles in areas from money making to child care and to housework. Millennials are also far more accepting of gay marriage than older people, with 74% having the same sex marriage compared to just 56%. Of baby boomers. That is also quite a change. Next part I want to go into is the history of marriage because I was reading this and I thought you would be interested in some of these facts from the past. Until the 1970s, the greatest change in marriage over the previous four centuries was the gradual acceptance that individuals should freely choose their own marriage partner on the basis of love. For thousands of years, marriage was not about love. It was about the way that the ruling classes made military alliances or signed peace treaties and bolstered their claims to royal descent. For the lower classes, it was the most important decision they would make for their livelihood, since family farms and businesses required the labor of both men and women. Love was gravy. It was nice if it came along with it, but not essential. Not into this century, for example, did Saudi Arabia pass a law saying a man couldn't force his daughter into marriage. And arranged marriages are still common in many countries, though children have more input and veto power than they used to. The idea that traditional marriage is one man, one woman, monogamous and based on true love may be many people's ideal, but it's not how marriages used to work. The single most approved one mentioned often in the first five books of the Old Testament was one man and many women, believe it or not, in the Bible. For centuries, many men felt completely free to have affairs outside of marriage, and women just had to, quote, put up with it, unquote. Today's disapproval of marital infidelity is probably at an all-time high, but the flip side is people are more accepting of premarital sex and less judgmental when people choose consensually to organize their sex lives in a different way. The male breadwinner family was the least traditional and most short-lived marriage form in history. How about that? I mean, I grew up with that being very much modeled on television and in the households in the 1960s and 70s. The male was a breadwinner. The woman worked for fun, usually, or was just working within the home. And maybe when the kids were launched and off to college, she may have picked up a job at that point. When I had gone off to college, my mother, I saw, went back and became a real estate agent, did quite successful and became a broker and then president of her board. She was always a very smart, savvy woman, but she was at home most of her life with us five children. You can see the way that I grew up and (laughs) all these statistics now. 
Kindness, patience, and a willingness to negotiate have always made marriages better, while contempt or abuse has always made them worse. It is only during the past 40 years that we have begun to build our marriages on the basis of males' and females' similarities instead of their differences. Marriage requires more negotiation, much more than individual friendship. Most men and women expect equality and sharing today, not specialization in male leadership. As a result, all the rules for having successful relationships are changing. And that's why I like to keep up with the research to see what they come out with. One of the strongest predictors of both marital and sexual satisfaction today is sharing housework, childcare, and breadwinning rather than having each partner specialize in one job. Men are actually most happy when they share the responsibilities for shopping with their partner, and women are most unhappy when their partner does not share responsibilities for the dishes and other housekeeping chores. I remember very often when I had the therapy practice, I was always asking what were the common complaints. And the most common complaint from women is that men do not share in the parenting role nor in housework. And I was just out in L.A. recently with my daughter, Alexi, and her husband, Preston, and they share everything. Preston's a very active dad. They both do the household chores. They both do the shopping. It's really a team. And that is so good to see. And I kept saying, team is you and me against the world. You have to do what makes you both happy. And then the least desirable jobs that nobody likes, like cleaning bathrooms or vacuuming, even the cooking. I mean, share the cooking that's more fun. Do the house chores at the same time together. And then you can go out and play. If you do it together, really, it takes about an hour to split the house. And then you flip-flop and do the opposite chores the following week. Don't feel you like you have to clean every day. Do it first thing maybe Saturday morning and then get out and enjoy yourself for the rest of the weekend. Here's some other quotes here. In some societies, when people form a lifetime partnership, they're increasingly foregoing formal marriage rights. In the United States, marriage rates amongst older people are outpacing those of younger couples. In 2016, 55.3% of people aged 65 or more were married, where 48.6% of adults under age 64 were, a record low, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. So you can see the state of marriage in those 65 or younger. In recent years, fewer and fewer young people are becoming officially unioned. Across the Atlantic, young Europeans also aren't feeling very pro-marriage. As in the United States, wedding rates in France and Spain have bottomed out to historical lows and are taking a dive in many other countries. In fact, only a handful of European countries, including Germany, are holding steady on the marriage front. The reasons for the declines vary, but include general apathy towards marriage as an institution and economic considerations that preclude having a costly celebration when current social attitudes allow young people to simply live together. In the United States, less education and lower income are associated with not marrying, largely because these two factors make many young people feel that they lack a solid financial grounding. And I have read that in other places. Men are getting married so much later, they wanna feel that once they get married, they can come close to supporting a home and having children. Men do want children too, but they wanna make sure that they are prepared. Still, the millennials were grown by the baby boomers who enforced traditions and the socio rights of men should be supporting their families and being a good dad, a good provider at the same time. So many of the millennial men are still trying to do that for their own sense of pride and self-esteem. They want to take care of their families. I think that's a beautiful thing. But women have been going out and working in equal droves. And I don't have those stats in front of me, but I think women are outpacing the number of men in the workforce. So this really means that teamwork is essential with parenting and house chores, with both trying to carry careers. The good news is more and more people are starting to work at home, and these are becoming viable successful careers. For example, I was 17 years in an office for psychotherapy 
And I said, I don't want to be locked in an office 12 hours a day. I want to do coaching. I want to work from home. I want a better lifestyle. So I do. I work from home. Even this radio show, I'm sitting in the comfort in Florida. Why Bold Brave Media, the studios are up in New York and the airwaves go out globally. The technology has enabled us to live simpler lives with a better lifestyle. Looking at Alexi and Preston, they both work from home as personal life coaches, transformation coaches. So that is their ground base. And this is another reason why they have that happy, balanced marriage where they are both contributing to all chores. They work as a team. This next article by Pamela Weintraub is Marriage Roadmap. And let's see what they say about successful marriages. They say it's an intricate process of balancing autonomy and connectedness. The passionate marriage requires that you become an adult. Becoming an authentic adult means going against the whole drift of the culture. It specifically means soothing your own bad feelings without the help of another, pursuing your own goals and standing on your own two feet. Most people associate such skills with singlehood, but marriage can't succeed unless we claim our sense of self in the presence of another. The resulting growth turns right around and fuels the marriage, enabling passionate sex. Okay, so this is the take of the researcher, the last name is Snarnach, S-C-H-N-A-R-C-H. The emotional and erotic power of independence within relationships, just as mainstream psychology has almost unanimously endorsed attachment as the heart of adult relationships. But this research finds that our preoccupation with attachment, with its ideal of feeling and acting as one, keeps partners infantile and overly emotional dependent, enmeshed in the language of psychology, as that's what we call it, when you're too close, and fused is another term for that. The enmeshed and the fused, this is off the cuff, it describes codependency and codependency is not healthy. That's when you're overly dependent on your partner. You don't have any life outside of your partner. It becomes very, very small and narrow. So I agree with them on the codependency issue. And they are really stating the independence model here is working better. Back to the article says the consistent attention of a caregiver allows a helpless baby to develop emotional security, the hallmark of which is growing ability to explore his world on his own. Attachment implies that if couples can simulate that early bond, they'll bask in emotional security for life. But Sarnach contends that marital attachment often doesn't leave enough space for partners to speak their minds, think their own thoughts, or attain their ambitions and dreams. Attachment not only reduces adults to infants, but also reduces marriage to a quest for safety, security, and compensation for childhood disappointments. Now, you mostly all know that I work with people who have had childhood trauma where there were attachment issues, where there were a lot of abandonment, early divorces in the family, very strict, angry parents or alcoholic parents with other addictions. If you do have a partner you feel safe friendship with, you can have an amazing marriage. I am one to find security as very important because still the cave woman old brain, as the research shows, her number one need is for that feeling of safety and security. We can't get away from that. That is hardwired into our brain. There has to be a balance, the life balance here of having safety and security, and that comes with moral values, right? Having integrity, which means doing the right things when nobody's looking. Honesty, trust, all the great qualities that make a great relationship. So if you have that, then you are creating safety and security with your partner, and that doesn't mean that they can't have their own dreams and ambitions because you can have both. The love triangle is me, you, and us, meaning you have your independent time to grow, nurture, reach your goals and dreams. He has it as well, or partner B has it as well. And then the us, it means your shared time. They are saying, stand on your own two feet for love. The baby boomers were raised, the women, to be married and be a happy housewife. 
Then when I turned 1920, the 70s had the commercial from Anjali, you know, fry up the bacon and put it into a pan and don't forget to make sure he's a man because you're a woman. I mean, in other words, do it all, do everything, burn out. And that's what happened in the 70s. Men were keeping their traditional roles of the nine to five job then coming home, sitting in the easy chair, watching TV with their feet up while the women did the rest of the work for the next six to seven hours. And then when he expected sex, she was too exhausted and he got disappointed. That model sure didn't work because that's when a major divorce has started happening. The millennials, I believe, have it. The equal balance in all areas where you are both contributing to the household economically, you both are financially responsible to your goals as a couple, you equally co-parent and you equally keep up the home all the way down to the chores nobody wants to do. But that is a real team. And I've always said work as a team to have the best relationship. It goes on. We've eliminated from marriage those things that fuel our essential drives for autonomy and freedom. It becomes a trap that actually prevents us from growing up. Instead of infantizing us, marriage can and must become the cradle of adult development. The path to this goal is differentiation, the dynamic process where you can live in close proximity to a partner and still maintain a separate sense of self. He says, I mean, not caving into pressure to conform from a partner who has tremendous emotional significance in your life. The best marital brew, he said, is the balanced state of interdependence. Interdependence allows partners, each of whom is capable of handling their own emotional lives, to focus on meeting their own and each other's ever-evolving goals and agendas in response to shifting circumstances. It's marked by flexibilities and focuses on strengths. Dependent partners, by contrast, spend their lives compensating for each other's limitations and needs. It's not that hard to be independent when you're alone, but pursuing your own goals and standing up for your beliefs, your personal likes and dislikes in the midst of a relationship is much harder. Says it's important to evolutionize marriage, but the strongest desire comes from the self's ability to choose another self. Only the differentiation can truly be known and loved for themselves. Path to differentiation runs straight through sex. The biggest sex killer, they said, was anxiety, the cause of rapid ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, and general failure to perform. To rid a couple of this anxiety, they have to have a deeper emotional connection that heightens responsiveness in both adults. And it goes on a little bit deeper. But we need to go to a break, and then we're going to go on to a few of their rules that they wrap up in this particular article. Hang on tight. I am your host and global life and love coach, Rihanna Milne, and you're listening to BBM Global Network. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audio book with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening today. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and get started. Why Audible? Well, Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. To download your free audiobook today, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and enjoy your free audiobook. We are back. I'm Rihanna Milne bringing you Lessons in Life and Love, the live radio show on BBM Global Network. To wrap up this article, they say when you make your partner responsible for your psychological problems of your past, you poison your love. Be your own person. Reject the idea that you and your partner must be attached at the hip, always in sync with every political view, every activity, and every mood. Sure, you can share common moral values, but one can be a Republican, one can be a Democrat, and one can love hiking while the other one reads. Don't tell your partner how to think or feel. You must allow your partner the freedom of speech, feeling, and thought of their own opinions and ideas. As long as your partner is not abusive, he or she should be able to share their feelings with you or others without worrying that you're going to jump in to argue or replace their inner landscape with your own. 
That is control. And we don't want to do that to our partner. Pursue your dreams and ambitions. Just because you're part of a committed couple does not mean you're barred from having goals of your own. You and your partner must encourage each other to go out into the world and seize the day to become all you can be, each in your own way. They should be your biggest cheerleader. Your partner should really want for you to feel happy and reach these goals that you have for yourself. Soothe yourself. Do not use your marriage as a first aid kit for your soul. Instead, develop the ability to ease your own anxiety and depression and treat your union like the cradle for growth that it was meant to be. This is very important, and this is why I work with clients who have had past childhood and love trauma. Instead of taking it out on your partner, you need to know to have the mental mindset to take the unconscious emotional wounds and change and correct them for yourself. And this goes on within your own mind, your own body, and not lash out at your partners or blame them for past things that have happened to you. When you blame another, this is called using your emotional triggers on another one. It also could be blurting out, saying things that you regret later. Your partner should not be the punching bag to your unhealed wounds. That's why you wanna get help. If you do need help, and you've recognized that by listening a few to the shows, do reach out to me at rihannamilne.com. It's my website for a free life and love personal transformation discovery session. And within one hour, you're going to learn so much about why you are self-sabotaging yourself when it comes to love or your partnerships. I offer that to seven of my listeners a week. If you're the first seven, sign on in. It is free, but it's a $500 value. Now that's truly intimate. Looking someone in the eye while making love really sees them. And they said that really adds to far more rewarding and emotionally close sex. People who are struggling in love were not to pursue touching in any specific way, but to actually feel each other, to follow an emotional connection first before attempting sex, not the other way around. You have to confront all conflicts that you've swept under the rug. You're not likely to let your partner look deep inside of you if you've covered up all your angry feelings. Eyes open sex drives the process of growing up and it heightens connectivity. Physical sensation and emotional connection become integrated rather than remaining separate. And at the same time, the sense of individual selves is enhanced. Passionate love intensifies when partners are free to express their thoughts and follow their dreams in a safe and open way. In other words, if you were with your best buddy, or best friend. You could say anything you want. They may agree with you, they may not, but you're not gonna be yelled at or punished or put down. This is when I say your partnership in marriage has to be with your best friend, your buddy, but also your passionate person. But you can only have passion when you can be your true authentic self. So we have to make sure there is no control, no codependency going on, not turning to your partner for blame or controlling them or criticizing or putting them down. Neither person can live with that very long if they have a good sound sense of self-esteem. It's funny, I work, well, it's not really funny, it's sad, but a lot of people come to me after very long-term marriage. I'm talking 15, 20, 25 years, and I said, how long were you happy? And they said, maybe the first two or four, or as soon as we got married, or as soon as a baby was born, it became abusive. And they just hung in there because they were supposed to. This is sad. This is a waste of your life. Who's to say that's the right way to do it? If you marry, you have to stay forever. Well, even the Bible says if you're in an abusive marriage, you are entitled to divorce. You cannot predict your partner will change with marriage or the birth of a baby. You cannot control them, but you certainly can control yourself and what you choose to do. If you try to work through abuse and they're not listening, and they change the rules and research says it changes about 10 days and they revert back to the bad behavior after 10 days. 
if that's consistent and you've given it your best, then feel that you can move on without guilt to have the love that you deserve. With the divorce rates going up to 60%, it sounds like there's a lot of immature adults with a lot of control issues, abuse coming from childhood trauma that are not fixing their problems and looking at their partners to either save them or control them, one or the other or both. And this is a big part of the problem. So this is why they're talking about interdependence and people having their own rights to have their dreams and their goals and achieve those. And each should be very supportive. Classic attachment theorists contend that those with emotional problems receive too little love and support from their families when growing up. Bowen argued it didn't necessarily follow that more love and attention would make them whole. In fact, they had become over-dependent on love. They needed to break the dependency while maintaining the closeness. Splitting from their families of origin and their adult partners is important to keep the individuality intact. The most troubled couples were often far too enmeshed in their relationships, and they complained they were not close enough. But they made their whole life wrapped around their partner, and they still could not get enough time. This is very indicative of somebody with an abandonment issue. They typically felt obligated to seek approval from a partner instead of feeling confident about their own thoughts and actions, which is the sign of an adult. The more the husband withdrew, the needier the wife becomes until a divorce loomed. Demanding empathy and getting none at all, the wife feels rejected and unloved. By demanding empathy, the wife was, in essence, seeking approval or validation from her husband. After disclosing her innermost feelings only to find rejection, the wife feels that she was ignored. He says, forget empathy, but another article in here says empathy is one of the most important things. Respect your own thoughts and feelings and maintain your sense of self-worth. Yes, that I agree with. When you say that you think without fear of rejection, your partner loves and respects you more because they know who you really are. And that's what we talk about being authentic. When you become your own person within a relationship, you leave room for someone else to do the same. Instead of depending on your partner to help you manage your own feelings and maintain your equilibrium, you're free to choose to be with your partner. You offer your partner a hand instead of just your needs. So they're saying don't be needy. Learn to settle your own issues when they come up, soothe your own anxiety, have the techniques that you need to lower any anxiety, to change depression, to go for your goals and dreams without fear. In other words, it's two emotionally healthy people who are consciously aware, not coming from unconscious emotional wounds that form the best unions. This is what I've been teaching for years, and this is what I do in my coaching. Marriage, I say, is a system that has unique built-in hurdles to happiness. The purpose is to provide the pressure for people to grow up. Dating is one thing. We date and you see only what I want you to see. I tell you some pseudo deep dark secret. We feel close, then we have sex. But with marriage, they say, you may start out talking about all the deep and important stuff, but eventually it gets used up. Then we make deals like I want to spend time with the boys. You want to spend time with your friends. We agree. But now we've used up all the things we agree about and we're only left with things we disagree about. That's where couples become gridlocked and it provokes anxiety. Gridlock in marriage is absolutely guaranteed with that type of pattern. After all the late night confessions and wild sex, after all the walks in the park and vacations with friends, after the kids have gone to bed and the bills have been paid, only gridlock remains. Now, to me, this is a very dark view of marriage from this researcher named Sarnach. Again, this is their opinion, which they are entitled to. They say there's just one road out of gridlock if you want to keep your marriage intact. You can't communicate your way out of it, and I would tend to disagree with that. You can't empathize your way out of it, and to me, I say empathy of someone's past childhood wounds is extremely important because then you don't take their personal issues or moods personally yourself. You know that they're dealing with a problem. They just need a little space to handle it in their mind if they know how to handle childhood wounds. You learn to soothe your own discomfort, regulate your own emotions, pursue your own goals, stop being a drain on your partner and handle problems on your own. 
Sarnach says you open enough space to get closer and make room for passionate love to return. Gridlock creates anxiety, anger, feelings of rejection, and emotional pressure. When these negative feelings become unbearable, the relationship must either change or break apart. Those couples who stay together must look within themselves for insight, confronting their role in maintaining the conflict. Instead of confronting the role, I would rather say being responsible for their part in the issue, right? And I teach having a therapeutic break, which means both partners taking a break, thinking about their part, what is the partner really trying to say to them, and coming back to the discussion with two good, valid suggestions or ideas that are best for the team. That's how I would advise my couples. He says the only solution for one person is moving forward and making room for their partner to grow as well. The distance allows them to reconnect, be flexible in meeting each other's needs and have something to talk about beyond kids and bills. The list of component skills that were developed first by Bowen, they included withstanding peer pressure, collaborating with others, controlling one's anxiety, persevering in the face of difficulty and changing direction when further struggle is futile or foolhardy. The elements of maturity can be separated into four distinct interrelated groups that Sarnatch has named. Here's the four points of balance. One involves operating according to deeply held personal values and goals, even when pressured to abandon them. The second is handling one's own inner emotional life and dealing with anxiety and emotional bruises without needing to turn to a partner for help. Third focuses on not overreacting to, but still facing difficult people and situations. The fourth is perseverance in the face of failure and disappointment in order to accomplish your goals. And that emphasizes resiliency. And they also involve the ability to adapt and change direction when need be without losing track of one's own overall primary love relationship and sense of self. So they're saying be very independent and from time to time come together and have a good time. (laughs) That's what I am interpreting. I do agree that each person has to be an adult and learn how to handle their emotional anxiety and past childhood traumas. This is why I think that's very important that I coach that, I teach that to singles and couples. You don't want to be an unhealed person out there trying to date without going through the work of healing all your past childhood and love traumas and making sure that you have a balanced and joyful life before you even go out and date. It needs to be two emotionally healthy, evolved and conscious people coming together for a union who has good values that match. You agree on the to do's and not to do's in your relationship. You work as a team at home financially to help each other out, to raise the kids, do the chores and make sure you're scheduling out enough time to have a great time as a couple. I didn't see anything in that article about the importance of the dates of spending quality time together, of having those important rituals and dates that you count on and look forward to. I'm seeing him really pushing, being individualized and having your own thing. And then you come together like a stranger and have great sex. See, I think it's missing a lot of components there personally. It's the me, you and us triangle that I go for. Yes, you have your individual time, but that third leg in the equilateral triangle is just as important and just as big, which means your quality time together, your activities, your fun, the things you do have in common, the moral fiber that you agree on, if you both agree to be monogamous and not cheat and learn to trust each other. Integrity is huge and that creates safety. Safety to me does not mean enmeshment. Safety means you are doing the right things, but nobody's looking, which invokes the trust and the honesty that makes your relationship feel safe and that you can cherish each other, even if you are separated and afar. You're not micromanaging your partner, but you trust them to do the right things when you're separated. That's a mature individual. If you're in a relationship where your partner is constantly being irresponsible or cheating behind your back or lying or scheming or doing things that ruins the relationships or costs the relationship financially, you've got a child there. 
And again, we don't always see it. You can't beat yourself up about it and you can't normally change a partner like this. We call that Peter Pan man for a man who is stuck in college age, who's still out there slugging beers with his buddies and trying to pick up women when he's married or the mama's boy who always puts mommy first and does not put his wife in the marriage first before the original family of origin. When you marry, your partner becomes the number one position. There's all different types of reasons marriages are falling apart, but you have to ask yourself, am I acting like a complete, emotionally healthy, evolved and conscious person? Am I bringing a responsible person into this relationship? Am I keeping my vow and my honor and being trustworthy while we're apart? Am I their best cheerleader and a good team player when it comes to things we necessarily may not like, but we're both doing them together? If two people are doing this, guess what, guys? The marriage will work. Then you do have the fun and the passion of being even more sexually interesting because a relationship feels safe and you can have more fun and fantasizing going on within the relationship. That's the key. Keep all that in mind. We will move on to the next article. I'll see how far I can get. This one is How to Find the One. This is by Tema Ehrenfeld, E-H-R-E-N-F-E-L-D. Okay, I'll be summarizing from this. They say, look for a partner who can support your biggest dreams and celebrate your wins. We just talked about that. A solid foundation in finance and mental health are romantic elixirs for the long road of life. Emotionally healthy love. That is what I teach. You and your partner being emotionally healthy, grown-up adults, talking each other as friends with respect, love, and compassion, having empathy when it's necessary, but not being too enmeshed and codependent. They say you can be happy with different people, not just one, quote, soulmate. And your ideal mates may not even fall into one personality type. Don't stress out about meeting the one. Chemistry, unlike a soulmate, isn't a myth, but it's not all that important. This is their research. And as I teach, chemistry can put you into a very dangerous situation of drawing you to the past, which could have been toxic and dysfunctional family issues. They say chemistry is real. Yes, it is real in the brain going on. They say online dating profiles, of course, refer much more often to chemistry than sweetness. Our bodies do have a strong preference. A person's scent reveals telltale clues about a group of genes called the major histocompatibility complex or MHC which influences tissue rejection. If a woman conceives with a partner's who MHC is too much like hers, her womb is more likely to reject the fetus. A potential lover's scent with dissimilar MHC may trigger immediate lust. In one of many studies of this theory, women prefer the t-shirts of men whose MHC was dissimilar to theirs. But if they were taking the pill, they liked MHC similar men. Saliva carries similar clues suggesting that the first kiss is indeed a big test. They have an article about going on finding love online. And let's go into this. Two thirds of Americans believe in soulmates. According to a 2017 survey of 800 adults, a good first step in making your love match to a dating app, however, is to abandon that fantasy, which can make people ditch promising relationships. Some dating sites promise that their algorithms can identify good matches based on complementary personality types, but these claims don't stand up. It's communication during a relationship that counts the most. Since the advantage of online dating is access to sheer numbers of people, here's how to play the game of numbers and using the tools. Keep your cards close. Avoid self-sabotage by posting photos and confessing serious problems on the first dates. Depression, addiction, and bad finances are poisoning to lasting love. Let me tell you, if you could bring those up on your first date, you're not even going to get to the second date, let alone lasting love. That's why I say you have to be a successful single. You cannot go out and date if you have anxiety, depression, addiction, and debt. Okay, so let's clean those up first. Women make the first move. 
OKCupid okay, reports that 30% of first messages sent out by a straight woman to a man turn into a conversation compared to only 12% of first messages sent out by straight men. Reaching out to a man whom you consider attractive is your best way to make a connection with him. For women, the profiles most likely to lead to conversations are those in which you're doing some activity. Next, most successful are photos that include an animal. Men get more messages from women when they look off into the distance, which I think is laughable, sorry, and if they're posing with a pet. Now, down in Florida, we have a lot of men posing with dead fish. It tends to be a turnoff, or four dogs. Tends to be a turnoff. I don't know. I like a man with a great smile looking straight into the cameras. I don't know about you guys, but I don't find that to be true. (laughs) They say men with blank bios are 98% less likely to get a match. I agree with that. Most people can't judge from profiles who they're going to like in person. Specifically, the real world characteristics you actually want. Know them and then stick to them. This is what we have in coaching called as defining your requirements, wants, needs, and desires, which all my clients do. No one likes rejection, but demanding explanations, obsessing or tracking your dates, online activities is bad for you. Don't be a cyber stalker. But when research shows that almost everyone cyber stalks, I wouldn't say emotionally healthy people do. (laughs) Okay. Focusing on the future may stay the course and find healthy love. All right. So we have to wrap up. We're going to finish with the last lessons. Sex is one of the most important aspects of happy and healthy marriage. More than an expression of your deepest love, having sex with your mate can improve all areas of your life. The health benefits of sex include a reduced risk of cancer, disease, heart attack, and stroke. Having sex gives you confidence, relaxes you, clears your mind, improves your ability to focus, and even reduces depression. So why is it that so many American couples feel embarrassed, nervous, or flat out afraid to talk about sex? Your sex life can be a touchy subject, often because it serves as a barometer for the health of your relationship. Couples in trouble may not want to acknowledge that their private, intimate life is suffering. Truly, sex can bring you closer together or drive you apart. The key to a wonderful sex life begins, like so many other things, with great communication. Your partner should be your trusted friend and confidant. Despite this, many feel afraid to talk about what our sex life needs, what is wonderful, and what it might be missing. The first view on sex is more than just the act. Remember, sex provides mutual pleasure, emotional closeness, and a way to show your partner in tune with their needs. And that's from the simple principles for a happy and healthy marriage. All right, guys, we got to close off. It is time. Next week, we will continue with part two of this show, Marrying Again, and continuing that article on finding the one. I want to thank you for tuning in to Lessons in Life and Love with me, Coach Rihanna Milne on Bold Brave Media. You can send me your questions at Lessons in Life and Love Show at gmail.com and reach out for that free life and love discovery session during the week at rihannamilne.com. Okay, Transformers, be sure to join me next week, Monday night, 6 to 7 p.m. on BBM Global Network. And as always, I am here to help you have that life you desire and the love that you deserve. God bless and have a fabulous week. We want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Lessons in Life and Love with Coach Rihanna Milne. Your personal journey of life and love transformation has only just begun. Go to RihannaMilne.com for more resources. And if you're really ready to take action to improve your life or love situation, apply now for a free life and love transformation discovery session with Rihanna, a $500 value. Just contact Rihanna with your questions and to tell her your story at RihannaMilne.com. And remember, it's time to have the life you desire and the love you deserve.